If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, you can download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Wiser Wednesday Experience Speaks, a podcast that discusses the improvement of physician engagement and physician documentation habits by focusing on the core aspects of clinical documentation integrity. Here is the creator and founder of Core CDI, the co-founder of Top Gun Audit School, and your host of this podcast, Glenn Krause. Hello, this is Glenn Krause from Wiser Wednesday Experience Speaks with another great slash podcast. I'm honored to have Mary Claire Cotner. Uh We've been going back and forth on LinkedIn for how many years now? Three or four years? So it's uh, good to hear. It's been a long time. Yeah, and so uh, thank you so much for being here. A little bit about Mary Claire. She's dedicated to her passion for healthcare, medical research, and health policy. She has a unique background in healthcare. Mary Claire worked in the clinical trial support unit at Michigan Medicine's Specifically, she worked in oncology research. Here she deepened her understanding of patient safety, protection of human subjects, and drugs, biologic, and device regulation. In this role, Mary Claire gained a greater appreciation for the intersection of regulations and clinical research. Further, she is keenly interested in the intersection of medicine and law. In spring of 2018, Mary Claire spearheaded and successfully passed the now AOA endorsed policy on reducing prescription drug costs. She recently joined her county's local medical legal committee in an effort to explore her passion for health policy. Of all her work, Mary Claire is the most proud of her advocacy efforts. She has served on various panels. At the Crohn's Colitis Foundation, Mary Claire served as an executive panel member. Here she discovered ways to raise awareness for inflammatory bowel disease and bring local community members with IBD together. Additionally, she served as Health Disparities Chair for Student Osteopathic Medical Association, SOMA. Her overarching goal is to continue advocating for persons with disability. Uh, Mary Claire is currently completing her graduate medical education. Here, she aims to obtain medical and professional competencies. She considers herself a lifelong learner and is committed to engendering a culture of excellence wherever she goes. Uh, Mary Claire, welcome to the podcast. You have a very, very impressive background. Thank you so much for having me, and it's really great to meet you finally after all these years. Yeah, that's right. I feel the same way. So, hey, listen, as I, st- uh, I know we've been going back and forth about documentation on LinkedIn. So as a student, 
what are your thoughts on uh, the type of training or education or learnings that you're receiving from uh, in, as part of your, uh, your long road to uh, becoming a full-fledged position uh, compared to what you're, what you're receiving, uh, what, what do you think should be the standard of training? It's a great question. So I think we, you know, we had talked about it before uh, mm -hmm. that sometimes clinical and medical documentation is a bit of an afterthought rather than something that's really, you know, put together in your medical schools and programs and hospitals. So I think if we could really put more focus on that, I think we could do more improvement with documentation. And you and I talked about it too, that medical record is not just a record, it's a form of communication. So right. I think putting more emphasis on communication skills and actually constructing courses and teachings on communications and how to improve your communications would be extremely valuable. And so in your training, do they have, as a student, what type of uh, learnings, do, do they have a course in, in communication or they, in documentation or it's more like, okay, here's a medical record, here's our system, give you some training on how to navigate and then throw you to the walls? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's pretty similar to that in that there's not a specific course or program put in place for students to really improve their communication skills. Um, it is talked about to, you know, always improve your communication skills that you're going to have to document and document, document, document is a common phrase that's stated. And I think that might come from a little bit more of the defensive medic medicine side of practice where you want to make sure that you are documenting everything that you mm -hmm. do and whatnot. Um, but I think, I really think that we could improve medical practice by being a little bit more thoughtful in training our next generation physicians for, for preparing for practice and, and in that taking more of a, of a more concerted effort to, to train students. And, and, and my question is, do they have any, in your program, uh, do they have any like formal coursework or is it more like learn on the job? Okay, you, 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 you have uh, mentors, you have your attendings. Do they give any any specific effort at ensuring that the note is complete? Because what I've been seeing is physicians, I'm not saying your facility, I'm talking globally, particularly in a right. couple of facilities uh, that I'm doing some auditing for, the attendees sign off on notes that really are gapingly uh, insufficient. For instance, I see situations where there's no chief complaint. Okay, well, mm -hmm. um, really there's no, that's the crux of medicine, finding out, uh, probing the patient's story, finding the patient in the story, and recording the history of present illness, which is so vitally important. Do, right. do, do you think that uh, uh, students and residents get uh, a good feedback from the attendings, or should, be, should there be some type of formal training? Yeah, I definitely think there should be more formal training and, and more emphasis um, rather than, like I said, an afterthought, um, which, which we do get. Don't get me wrong, there is definitely a lot of feedback that you do get from your colleagues, peers, attendings, and whatnot about, you know, how you could better articulate yourself and um, reviewing your soap notes. I definitely think that a lot of times for the medical students, mostly you get a lot of feedback from uh, the resident physicians, and that's really valuable. They, they know exactly where 
um, you know, a student at Proficiency Wise, so they can they really are a great resource for for medical students. Um, and then we also at the medical student level we do get trained on taking soap notes and whatnot. So um, there is there is formal training. I don't want to convey that there's completely none. I just do think that there could be improvement, especially now that you know, a majority of hospitals do have EMR. I think it would be really nice for medical schools to have an EMR. I think med schools, uh, they kind of lag behind the innovations that are there at the hospital or the technology at the hospital. So if we could help that bridge that gap of having med schools have, you know, similar EMRs or simulations of taking, oh, you know, idea. a soap note, that would be great. I was just gonna. I was just gonna suggest, uh, ask what your thoughts are, like sort of like have practice, like you have a dummy EMR where you could you could be exposed to how to effectively communicate. Because it's one thing. I, it's like okay, you ask me if I ski. I sure do. I'm an avid skier <laughs> since I was three years old. Okay. Uh, this is how you learn how to ski. Get on the slopes when I was going up to Canada during the winter, uh, 20, 30 below when we had used to have cold weather. Freeze your uh, tail off and then learn how to ski. Okay, go, go to the uh, bunny slope and fall down all you want. Okay, but it'd be really <laughs> nice to have like an idea, you know, from the skiing, like have a simulation model, if you will. Okay, uh, sort of like practice okay, how to pull, how to turn. Uh, and so forth, and to practice the rhythm of before you go out there and make a fool of yourself. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that I think that would be. It's like okay, if you're a surgeon, uh, uh, you're a surgeon. You learn by doing. You see one, do one, touch one, smell one, try it yourself. Okay, so I think you mentioned in your LinkedIn that you had some video, uh, video surgeries or something like that. Yes, yeah. With COVID, we've been having to do um, virtual medical education. So for surgery, uh, that was the rotation I was on. So I was doing uh, part of it in the virtual environment. And it was, it was phenomenal. It was really great. I think you bring up an interesting point. Rather than, than, than get thrown to the wolves, and I don't mean that in a bad way, from the standpoint of getting on the floor, practicing in the hospital, it'd be great to have some type of tutorial practice session uh, and ha learn how to navigate the EHR. And, you know, what are your thoughts on the EHR? It takes a lot more time to navigate the EHR, and I've had some physicians say that EHR controls their documentation. Uh, what are your mm -hmm. thoughts on that? Do, do, you, do you feel the same way that I'm spending more time pointing and clicking uh, and I don't have a lot of time to actually see patients? That's a, that's a really great question. I have heard some of the same uh, gripes that you have about EMR, and some of them are definitely stemmed in the shortcomings of EMR. Um, I think you and I talked about it. I did work in an EMR go live and witnessed yeah, kind of right. how that changed um, the you know, clinical flow and whatnot. I think there's a lot of promises to EMR. I don't think we've reached their full potential yet. I think we're still, it's still kind of new. But, you know, obviously I didn't practice medicine before EMR, so I don't have that to compare to. But um, I, I don't know. I, I really like EMR. I, I've heard colleagues say that, you know, it, they feel like it's removed from the patient and they're not able to, you know, look at their patient more and whatnot. But I, I think when you have a lot of technical skill and 
are really used to computers such as millennials are very used to, to using technology at the bedside and whatnot. Um, it does kind of feel second nature. So I, I do think people's concerns are legitimate, and I think that there's still a lot of potential with EMR and whatnot. And I do too. You know, and one thing that I really stress is when, you, when physicians or residents, students receive training in, in the EHR, whether it's Epic, Cerner, whatever, uh, Greenway, uh, and so forth, uh, they get trained on how to, how to navigate through, through the EHR, how do you uh, do copy and paste, which is uh, another topic for discussion. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It's ridiculous. I had, I had, can uh, of worms. Yeah, isn't it really? I mean, I had a mm -hmm. physician copy and paste uh, hypertension and pregnancy on a 60-year-old male patient five days in a row. Oh, goodness. Uh, because he, he uh, selected the drop-down menu in a hurry, and then he copy and pasted, yeah. which tells me he's not reading his note because if you sign off on that, you probably didn't read your note. Are mm -hmm. you familiar? And, you know, and I and really, I feel strongly that the resident student physician can really take hold of the EHR and control what goes in it as opposed to the EHR, EHR telling you what needs to be in the chart. That's uh, that because it's not just navigating, it's understanding what the standard is. And we talked a little bit about the standard of documentation. Your thoughts are, I think there should be better standards that, that physicians follow. Am I correct? Yeah, I definitely think that there should be standards, but I also, on the opposite side of the spectrum, I do think there should be some flexibility just because, you know, Kate, obviously there's that saying that patients don't read the textbook. So not every patient's going to follow, you know, an algorithm. So if you design EMR with an algorithm and there's no flexibility in, in documentation and whatnot, I think that, that presents a lot of challenges. Oh, so I definitely agree there should be some standardization, but somehow enough flexibility um, that you don't pigeonhole a note or a documentation too much. Uh, absolutely. Hey, uh, one last question. Are you familiar with the, uh, in the hospital setting or maybe an outpatient, these people who call themselves, uh, and I, I say that in a positive way, uh, clinical okay. documentation improvement professionals are usually nurses on the floor or, or in the office. Have you come across them at all in your practice? Yeah, I believe I came across that more when I was doing like EMR implementation than as a medical student, um, and they were very valuable uh, team members. And, and you know, I think their role is to review the record and identify disconnects between the treatment or the workup and the diagnosis because there's ICD-10 and reimburse mm -hmm. and reimbursement mm -hmm. and clinical uh, clinical medicine. There's always a degree of disconnect. And one of the things that CDI does is obviously leave queries for physicians, which to me, if you're in, the, if you're on the floor as a hospitalist, seeing 20 to 23 patients a day, which you know, 18 to 23 patients, that's the kind of the high end. As I mentioned, a primary a task-based reimbursement, and I see CDI uh, more uh, taking more of a proactive approach in educating students, residents, and physicians on the standards of documentation in real time because you know, on-the-job training, uh, to me, as a physician, is the best 
obviously you will have a student, then you'll have three years of residency where you, uh, maybe a fellowship where you really hone in on your clinical acumen, your clinical judgment, analytical skills, and hopefully documentation. And I see that's, that piece could be definitely strengthened uh, beyond just leaving queries for diagnosis. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, so let me make sure I'm getting this correctly. So you're mm -hmm. saying that it, you should have more, you know, training in person with clinical documentation and improvement and whatnot. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Picture yourself as a resident. Let's say you're an R1, which you, I know you, mm -hmm. you're dying to get into, right? So, uh, <laughs> yes, very excited. Yeah, really. Well, you're getting closer to the end of the tunnel, R3, you know, so you can get out and practice. And rather than receive queries for diagnosis, uh, I, as a physician or a resident, would really feel uh, more strongly about, okay, tell me how to communicate so I don't receive these queries. Well, uh, oh, yes, uh, yep. Tell me what, how I can become I, what I call work smarter, not harder, because I review notes, and a lot of the information that we, the physicians, residents include in the note are what I call gravitational information. It weighs down the chart, but it's not actionable. And for me, working, uh, helping physicians work smarter, not harder, spend more time doctoring in front of the patient and the computer, I'm all for that. Uh, and I just don't see, I don't see a lot of that in the, in the, in residency programs. I know when I was at a, a hospital in the Southwest in uh, Nevada working with residents, that was their biggest beef, I guess, or their biggest mm -hmm. uh, complaint, if you will, or, or suggestion. Don't just issue queries. Help us become more proficient at documentation. Mm -hmm. I, I think that would be helpful from a residency training because I had the R3 when I was speaking. I'm going to close with this and get your thoughts. When I was uh, actually uh, working with some R2s uh, and, I, uh, and we were working in the physician uh, the dictation area, old-fashioned dictation area, two people were behind me. Uh, and I looked to say, hey, may I help you? And they said, yeah, we're just listening in on documentation. Why didn't, you, why didn't we get this formally taught to us or shared best practices while we were in our residency? Well, I just started six months ago. Oh, okay. Can you give me a crash course in documentation? <laughs> oh, wonderful. Because, you know, I love to help physicians and residents. That's my passion. And so I say, when you're leaving tomorrow, no, that ain't going to happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I think that would be really helpful because when you get out right. into your, uh, on your own, now you're practicing with documentation that really means your livelihood. Why not mm -hmm. practice with, I don't mean to say this negatively, why not practice with, with uh, patient care that you're learning, honing your clinical judgment and analytical skills, but it's not really your revenue? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it goes back to the point that we were making earlier about how you know, we need the training and education up front rather up front. than kind of an afterthought. And I think, I think, unfortunately, sometimes in the medical profession, we're a little bit more reactive. And I know they say that a lot for treating a disease instead of being preventative medicine, but I think the same applies with documentation. If we could get ahead of the problem by doing training earlier and education earlier and maybe even changing education, medical education by 
putting more of an emphasis on, on medical documentation and seeing how important it is earlier on rather than kind of reacting to it and saying, you know, you're having deficiencies in these medical documentations. You know, you don't really get that intervention and, and, and oh, that gone. feedback until a lot later on in your, your, your practice. It's like I almost, I'm going to close with this. It's almost like uh, learning how to drive a car. You get your uh, permit. I grew up in Maine, so we could, we could get our learner's permit at 15. Mm -hmm. And I actually learned how to drive a stick shift on a fork truck. Oh, That's wow. That's the way to do it, <laughs> driving down Main Street on a fork truck. Uh, uh, <laughs> it was kind of funny, but I certainly learned how to parallel park with a fork truck. <laughs> and it's the same thing with residency. I mean, think about it. The earlier you learn the, and the more practice you have, the better you're going to be, more confidence you are going to take the exam. And I, and I, I almost think like documentation, uh, well, you know, when you take your boards, there is mostly clinical medicine. That's what it's about. They should have a, a, a section on documentation. Okay, what, what is a good note? Uh, actually ask the uh, test taker, if you will, to, okay, here's what the patient presented, write a decent note. Because uh, that's, I had a couple of physicians really recently say that should be part of our core competencies and skill sets because think about it. Last thing, uh, I think this is a good closing point is while physicians don't go into medicine for money, I sense that they don't quite understand the role of documentation for number, fully informed, coordinated, quality-focused, patient-centered, outcomes-based care. But the other piece to overlay that is the fact that this record serves as a reimbursement tool. So if you're overcoding, that could be a compliance issue. If you're undercoding, that's definitely a compliance because Medicare looks to, to have the documentation mm -hmm. support the level of care and the reimbursement. So if you're under code, that's still considered an improper payment. So right. there's a lot writing on documentation. We can't forget the patient in the mix. Any final thoughts before we wrap up this wonderful podcast? Um, you know, really just what we've been talking about I think is important is having a bit more focus on the training and education earlier on um, with, clinical documentation and EMR, and I think um, that point of making sure that our medical programs have the similar technologies that is actually out in our, in our healthcare Absolutely. system and in our hospitals, I think that would just be tremendously helpful for students like myself and for, you know, future physicians. Oh, that's great. Well, you know what? Mary Claire, it was a real pleasure to finally talk to you on the phone on a Saturday. Yes, it was my pleasure uh, as well. Uh, and I really appreciate your time. Keep up the good work in your graduate medical education. Folks, uh, this wraps up our Wise and Wednesday. If you haven't heard our recent previous Wise and Wednesdays, they're on many podcasts, including iTunes. We also, I also am a co-founder of Top Gun Audit School, so we have a lot of free resources on my website, core-cdi.com. Thank you very much for everyone's time, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you very much.
Thank you for listening. Glenn Krauss can be found on LinkedIn. Make sure to subscribe to Wiser Wednesday Experience Speaks on Anchor.fm or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to also visit core-cdi.com for CDI and Revenue Cycle Consulting Services and topgunauditschool.com, a coaching service for hospital and clinicians. This podcast was produced by medicalcodinggeek.com. MedicalCodingGeek.com